0: So we're going to be finishing uh, the last in our series, Paradise Loved and Lost. I hope you've really appreciated it. If you've missed any of them, you can catch up with, with it on our audio. Um, or if you want to watch the videos, you can actually watch those. Just contact the office and we can send you the link. So this sermon is entitled, Sacrifice... And the tree of life. And so we're going to find out all about why it's called that as we read the last few verses of Genesis chapter 3. Starting at verses 20 to 24. We're going to read them from the Christian Standard Bible. This is what it says. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife And he clothed them. The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. It's a strange title, Sacrifice and the Tree of Life. Sometimes uh, we can hear things like that and we go, what on earth is that all about? I remember uh, when I went to, uh, with my son, we took a guest, we had a guest over from Mumbai, and uh, we, he wanted, the guest wanted to go to uh, Stonehenge, so we took him to Stonehenge. Joe and I uh, had never been before, And so we went, and and when you get there, there's the names, the stones on Stonehenge have names, and one of them is called the Slaughter Stone. And so immediately it conjures up in my mind images of, oh gosh, in time past that would have been a place of sacrifice. They would have sacrificed there, maybe animal sacrifices, sacrifices, maybe even human sacrifices. That's what it conjures up. When you actually get there, what you realize is that isn't what happened there at all. It's just called the Slaughter Stone because there's, uh, the coloration of the stone makes it look like it might have been blood, but it wasn't. And so it's sort of like you go, oh, all right. It's just a stone then. It's a really expensive visit to Stonehenge. And I just thought, wow, what an anticlimax. I thought, I honestly, I thought I, I would have been better off staying on the 303 in those huge traffic jams just, just looking because I, I would have got as much out of it it added little to what I already knew and I want to say at first glance as you read this passage that we've just read from the end of Genesis uh, chapter 3 you might think well oh alright what are you going to get from that what are we gonna, well, we've heard it all before already surely this is just rounding it all off and drawing it To a close, I want to say nothing could be further from the truth. Here in these few verses are early Old Testament pointers to the grace of God and all that Jesus has done for us. It was St. Augustine in the 3rd and 4th centuries who, who said this, Talking about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament points to the new. He said this, the new, the New Testament is in the old concealed. So it's hidden in the Old Testament. The old is in the new revealed. The New Testament reveals what's hidden in the Old Testament. And what Augustine means is that the Old Testament points us towards all that Jesus would do and accomplish on the cross. We've already caught glimpses of this as we've unpacked some of these verses through Genesis chapters 2 and 3. More than this, what we have read in these chapters has touched into hot potatoes in our society. Relevant issues that we are struggling with as a society today speaks into issues of human value and equality. It's talked about the dignity and importance of work. It's talked about our need for relationship, particularly with God, but also with each other. We need to hear what Genesis chapters 2 and 3 are saying in these days, when we feel so isolated and have been so isolated as a result of COVID. These chapters speak into issues of marriage and gender and identity, These passages have much to say to us that is relevant to us today. We've seen the devastating impact of uh, Adam's and Eve's disobedience, what the Bible calls sin. And today is going to underline for us that the God who created us is the God who rescues us. And there are three things that I want us to draw out This morning. The first thing is this as a result of Adam's sin, there are serious consequences. There are serious consequences. And the first thing is that God stops them eating of the tree of life. In verse 22, God implies that because Adam has disobeyed, he's gained knowledge of good and evil. God says that because of that, he, what, he doesn't want him to eat of the tree of life. There's something about the fact that he now has knowledge that God is saying he has lost something as well. And so he doesn't want him to have eternal life. Strange. There's also strange that as we come into this, right at the very beginning, there's a verse here that, says, that talks about Adam naming his wife Eve. He's already, we've already read earlier that he has called her woman. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So why is this verse here? Why is, it, why is this verse important that, that, that God is recording for us that Adam named his wife Eve, which means life? Is it just a bit of extra information? Well, we're told it's because she would become the mother of all the living. Names are important. I remember a neighbor used to say about me, she says I came towards her and, and she passed me either in church or on the street, she would say, look out, here comes trouble. That's what she used to call me. Call me trouble. Why on earth does Adam call his wife Eve? He could have equally called her trouble. You've got me into this mess. You got me into this mess. He could have done it, but he didn't. He calls her Life. Of all the names. You see, Adam is aching for the life that he has lost. And in naming his, his wife Life, we are seeing something of his faith in the kindness and the goodness of God, even while God is punishing him for his sin. Adam is putting his faith in the promise that he has heard God say. God has just given a promise. And the promise was that your offspring, saying this to Eve, your offspring will stamp on the offspring of the devil, on Satan's head. There is a day coming when that will happen. And Adam is putting his faith in that promise that one day that would happen. And so he calls his wife, he calls her life because here is hope for me. In my punishment for my sin, there is hope for me. God stops him eating. But Adam's response, there's a response of faith here. What's our response when God disciplines us? When we know that we're getting the just desserts for something that we've done wrong, and we deserve it. Do we sulk? Do we get fearful or is our response, like Adam, one of faith? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, when God rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. If God is disciplining you, it's because he loves you. So in the midst of the pain, you can go, Oh, God, thank you that you love me. You still love me. God stops them eating. But we also see one of the consequences is God drives them out of paradise. Literally, get out. It's a phrase that many of us have heard before. I would have heard it many times in school. Chick, get out. Get out. Throw pushed out of the class. Listen, God isn't overreacting. He is not being petulant. He cannot allow Adam and Eve to stay. Because of their disobedience in eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, they have become like other heavenly beings. We read, like one of us. God says, like one of us. They become like one of us. Something has changed. And so God drives them out because he doesn't want them to stay in their broken, sinful state. If they eat of the tree of life, they will live forever in their brokenness. And God doesn't want that for them. And so God has to drive them out for their uh, ultimate good. Here, we can misunderstand sometimes what god is doing here we see the kindness and the sternness of god the kindness of god comes before his sternness god is being kind as he dispels them from the garden david atkinson his commentary says god is providing an opportunity for grace in this moment and so he's driving them out of paradise The third consequence is that we see there's no way back. There's no way back. God places angels, cherubim with flaming swords that stand protecting their way back into the garden. They cannot go back. The sword speaks of judgment and if they are to get back into the garden, judgment must fall. We'll read more, we'll hear more of that later. It is a dreadful thing we read in hebrews to fall into the hands of the living god he is a holy god his standards are perfect and adam and eve are dispelled but god is preparing a way back you see we've been singing about who can take away our sin that's what we we're singing this one they didn't know that i've this is a phrase i've got here who can take away our sin i've written it down Who can take away our sin? Who can bring us back into the presence of God? Who can pay the price of judgment? There were serious consequences, but there was a costly sacrifice. We read in verse 21, The Lord God made garments of skin and clothed them. On Thursday this week, it was our 32nd wedding anniversary. So I want you to imagine, okay? I want you to imagine. Just want you to imagine I said this, okay? Imagine I said to Annie when I got home on Thursday night, Annie, I was walking past the florists today in Winchester, the high street, and uh, I saw some beautiful flowers. They were absolutely beautiful. I was going to buy them for you because you are so amazing, but I didn't have my wallet on me. Is she going to say... It's lovely that you were thinking of me. It's the thought that counts. Of course she's not. It's a meaningless statement. It cost me nothing. And here we need to appreciate that what God is doing here is this is no meaningless gesture. That means nothing. God's response in clothing and Adam and Eve was not that. The first thing we need to know is that fig leaves don't work. Adam and Eve had tried to cover their nakedness, we read earlier in verse 7 of chapter 3, with fig leaves. Fig leaves are not going to last long. Once you've plucked a fig leaf off the branch and you've sewn it together, eventually it's dying, it's going to wither, it's not going to cover you for long, sin had brought a sense of shame, they needed, they wanted to be covered, they suddenly felt naked before God, they'd never felt like that before. But sin does that. Sin exposes our hearts and suddenly we're aware of the holiness of God and the goodness of God and we are undone. They had let themselves down but more importantly, they'd let down the one who created them, the one who loved them. Our sin makes it harder and harder to cover up our sense of failure, inadequacy and shame. And all of us, are capable of covering up. What are you hiding behind? Are you hiding behind bravado? Inside you're feeling aching, you're struggling, battling with stuff, but you put on a, a front just so that people don't see what's happening behind. Maybe. It's your work. You just work harder to hide the sense of failure and shame. So you just work harder and harder and harder. But it's a fig leaf. Maybe it's your educational achievements. Maybe you're just trying harder and harder because you feel like you're a failure. You were told you were going to be a failure. You'd never amount to much. It's a fig leaf. Maybe it's your social status and your money and your possessions and your home. Maybe it's your children and your family. Are you hiding behind something? Are you hiding because you don't want to be exposed? I want to tell you that God sees through it all. In Revelation chapter 1, we get an image of, John gets a vision of the resurrected Jesus, and he talks of one who is glorious, but he talks about his eyes of blazing fire. Jesus' eyes penetrate through all our defenses. He sees us as we really are. He sees us for for all our failures and our weaknesses and the things that are disappointments to us. He sees them and knows them all, and he loves us. Fig leaves don't work. The second thing we see in this is that this costly sacrifice is that God still cares about Adam and Eve. Despite the pain and damage that they've caused, the havoc that they've caused to God's beautiful paradise, God cares about them. So God properly clothes them. Fig leaves are not good enough, but God clothes them. At one level, he's providing protection from the elements. At another level, he doesn't want them to leave them ashamed and humiliated. It would have been easy to say, we would have got, serves them right. You want fig leaves? You can have fig leaves. You'll soon find out. Watch and see. God is not like us. We need to reset our thinking about who God is and what he's like. God is not like a jilted partner who cuts up the other person's clothes. God clothes us in our shame and our brokenness. Here we see God's grace. God doesn't change, we're told in Malachi chapter 3. God, The God we read about in Genesis chapter 3 is the same God today. The God who comes to clothe us in our brokenness and in our shame. It's the Father that Jesus reveals as he tells his parables. He came to reveal the heart of God. And so when you read the the story of the prodigal son, Jesus is revealing the heart of his father to us. And so the son who squanders the father's inheritance in a far land, wasting it away. And in his shame and brokenness, he eventually comes home, decides to go home, wondering whether the father's going to accept him. The father is watching for him and the father runs to him and sweeps him up and clothes him. And brings him back in. The father clothes him in his shame. And covers him and brings him back into his home. And the the truth is the father was the one who bore the shame of the community for doing that. The community would have wanted to stone the son. But the father protects him and the father takes the shame on himself to bring the son back home. This is our God. A God who cares for us. Walter Brueggemann, the commentator, says this God does for the couple what they cannot do for themselves. They cannot deal with their shame. But God can, will, and does. Maybe we're struggling with shame. Maybe we know what goes on inside. We know what we watch when no one else is around. We know where our thoughts go. We know what's going on in our hearts. Nobody else does. And we try to protect ourselves and put fig leaves around. But God wants you to know today he knows. And he loves you and he wants to clothe you. He wants to take away the fig leaves. He wants to clothe, cover your shame and deal with it once and for all. He wants you to be free from your brokenness and your pain. You see, God's care is very practical. God wants to protect Adam and Eve from the storms of life and the inclement weather. God's care is practical. He cares for us physically. And that's why, as a church, we do the same. We care for people who are broken and needy in the world around us. We want to provide cover for them and we care for them whether it be soup service or Christians Against Poverty. These things matter because they reveal the heart of a God who loves men and women deeply and wants to see them restored to relationship with him. But God's care costs. There is a sacrifice it's a costly sacrifice you see up until now adam had never seen death he'd spent his time looking after god's creation that included the animals and god had declared that the animals were good now god kills an animal to provide skins to cover adam and eve God provided the animal. The animal was innocent. God initiates the first sacrifice in the Bible to cover Adam and Eve. It tells us something of the seriousness of sin before God. That God would do that to an animal that he created that was good. Tells us something about the seriousness of sin and the price that God is prepared to pay to cover us. When we use the word covering, in the New Testament, the word would be atonement. When you read the word atonement in the Bible, or atone, it's talking about covering, sins being covered. The sacrifice provides the covering. God clothes them, but they have to continue to wear these clothes. It's their choice to wear these clothes. And this points it's a beautiful pointing to the cross. In Isaiah 61, Isaiah says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. It's pointing to what Jesus would do. Jesus would clothe us in a robe of righteousness. Not our righteousness, his righteousness. He would cover us. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. The sacrifice is costly. The challenge for us is have we received what God is freely offering us? Have we put on by faith what Christ has done for us. You see, this costly sacrifice points to a second chance. You see, as we face the consequences of sin, we see glimpses of grace. This second chance points to a second Adam. Paul draws the link in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. He says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Paul is saying that God's son, Jesus, became completely man, born of a virgin, untainted by sin. That is why the Christmas message is so important. Jesus was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was untainted by Adam's sin. Adam's sin is passed through Adam, our generational head. Jesus was untainted by sin. He never sinned. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was an innocent sacrifice. Jesus came as the second Adam. The first Adam disobeyed God. The second Adam, Jesus, perfectly obeyed God. He loved him with all his heart and soul. And as a result of the first Adam's sin, we are all banished from relationship with God. We all will die one day. It's a result of what he's done. But the second Adam's righteousness, Jesus' perfect life, because of that we are, are accepted back into relationship with the living God. In Romans chapter 5 verses 14, 15 and 18, it says this in the New Living Translation. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. This is magnificent. This is the second Adam There is a second Adam and there is a second tree. Just as Adam sinned by eating of a tree, the cross where Jesus willingly took the punishment of our our rebellion, our sin, is the second tree and we eat of this tree. We eat the fruit of this tree. The second tree brings Jesus' death but it brings us life. Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live to righteousness, for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. What Jesus did for us has brought us freedom. There's a second tree and a second Adam. And finally, there's a second command. Adam and Eve broke God's first command. They took and ate. God said, don't eat of that tree. They took and they ate. As a result, the curse fell. Only in Christ is the curse lifted. We're told in Galatians 3 that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us. Jesus took the curse for us that we might be free. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin that we might be restored to relationship with God. The first command, they were told not to eat of the tree. The second command we're given is very different. The second command comes from Jesus himself, and he encourages us to do the opposite. He says this in John chapter 6, verse 54. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. A strange statement. What does it mean? How can we eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? It's cannibalistic, isn't it? No, it isn't. We receive the benefits of all that Jesus did on the cross when we break bread together. Jesus says this in Matthew 26, verse 26. Jesus took bread, he blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Here is the second command Take, eat, This is my body. Take eat. This is your covering. Take eat. This is what covers your shame. Fig leaves of your own making won't cover your shame and your nakedness before God, your sin before God. Take eat. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. As we do this, as we remember Jesus Christ given for us, we are reminding ourselves of this covering. Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' perfect life, which covers us. Our sin is dealt with. Our past is gone. We are forgiven. It is amazing. This meal Is a time to rejoice in God's grace towards us, to remind ourselves that our shame is covered. We are forgiven. It's a place to know that he will provide all our needs because he cares for us. If he gave his own son for us, will he not give us everything that we need? It's a place to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are not banished. The doors of heaven are open and we can draw near to a Father who loves us. Romans 8 says this, and I'll finish with this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We're going to break bread together in a moment. The band are going to join me on stage. And Ange, and it will lead us through breaking of bread. But as we do this, we are remembering Jesus, our great, atoning sacrifice. The one who covers us. If you've been battling with stuff, you're trying to cover yourself, trying to protect yourself, putting up all sorts of barriers, fig leaves, but don't work. God wants you to know that today's a day where you can do business with him. You can come and, once again, you may have been a Christian for many years, but you've been carrying stuff, battling with stuff. This is a moment where you can do business with God and say, God, I thank you that I don't need to rely on my own defences. I don't need to put up barriers. I just need the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus broken for me. Thank you that you cover me. You care for me. You love me. This is a moment you can do business with God. This is a moment. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it today. You can say, Jesus, cover me. Cover me. Meet me in this moment. Cover me. May your blood deal with my past, my mistakes, my failings, the shame that I carry. And he will do it in the moment. You can take bread and wine as a step of faith. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you today. As we take this moment, this beautiful moment, let's remember what he has done for us. Let's rejoice and be glad.